Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Sable Library podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and this week I'm joined by Tim. Hello. And Christina. Hello. Thank you both for joining me again. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about indie games. Hooray, more video games. <laughs> All of our listeners are demanding more video <laughs> games. So just set the table. What is an indie game? So I found a few definitions online, but this is one that I kind of agree with. Uh, generally, they're made. They're video games that are made by a smaller team on a smaller budget. Broad, very broadly speaking, there are exceptions, of course, to those small publisher too. Right? Yes, usually they're either self-published or kind of tucked under the rug by a larger publisher or a smaller indie publisher. Um, so basically, because of those factors. Indie games typically have more creative freedom because they're not beholden to major publishers. They can usually stick to like a more narrower focus on gameplay or narrative. So that kind of gives you an idea of what indie games are like. Kind of like independent books or independent movies. It's usually not like a first-person shooter. Yeah. Usually. There are certain genres of video games that they don't typically fall under. Um and, and that's partly, I think, because the developers want to do something outside of the box. And those type of genres, like first-person shooters, kind of appeal to maybe like a more broad audience. Call of Duty and whatnot. Right. So just another thing I wanted to mention uh, really quickly before we start talking about some of our favorite indie games is basically like when indie games sort of took off. So... I have a, like a very boiled down version of like indie game history because this is something that I really, really am interested in. So basically, video games were all indie games up until a certain point. So up until like the 2000s, early 2000s, when video games started to like, well, I guess when consoles started to come out, that's when publishers started focusing on the consoles. And then all of a sudden, these video game companies start to become like multi-million or billion dollar companies. So... Before that point, everything was an indie game. It was all made by just hobbyists. Arcade you know. games, too, or more console? Well, I mean, even arcade games, because games were so simple back then, could be made yeah. by a dozen people in an office somewhere. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when I'm talking about indie games, at least my personal definition is I kind of think they diverge from what gamers call AAA games or like main, mainstream games in kind of around that time, like the early 2000s. And I think they really, like the, they really had a separation and they really got going. They really got momentum as a distinct classification of games, uh, in part because it was easier to publish your game yourself. You didn't have to go through these big companies. So Steam, which is a very popular PC gaming platform, comes out in 2003 so that allows anybody who has a game to publish their game themselves. They don't need to go through Nintendo or Sony. Um, around that same time, Xbox releases Xbox Live Arcade. Oh, yeah. So Remember that? No. I do. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about it in this episode. Oh, great. Not a big Xbox person. Well, so I mean, my, the point is around this time, 2003 to 2005, everybody kind of caught on to the idea that you can have these smaller marketplaces. There's more avenues. There's more avenues. Stuff. Yes, and there's more um, open source game development platforms right. too. So you don't need previously you would have to pay Nintendo or Sega thousands and thousands of dollars to get their tools to make games. So they would work on their platform. Mm-hmm. 
And then in the 2000s, you start seeing open source game development tools out there. Um, so just free tools to make your own games available online. So that in conjunction with these new platforms for selling your games yourself, and then crowdfunding comes out around the same time too. So Kickstarter, Indiegogo. So now game developers can just pitch an idea and then if the public likes it, they can get the funding to make it. So these kind of things all happen around the same time and then you see a big explosion of indie games in like the early 2000s. So that's like the really condensed version of of indie games. Well, I think too, just one other thing within more recent history is the idea of, and you can speak to this too from your own experience, of a throwback to making like an independent game that doesn't look like a modern game. It looks specifically like a retro game from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, but ha- might have, but has more modern ideas for gaming in it. And I think that is a huge, like almost a genre in itself and really freed up people to be super creative with what they, a game, just a game idea. It's easy to, easier to develop for. You could do a one-person game. Like one person could develop an entire game. They could do the music, the graphics, the story, everything just all by themselves over the span of like a couple of years, but they could get it done by themselves. And that's pretty huge for gaming these days. Yeah, and for the benefit of gamers everywhere, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because video games have been around for so long, you know, I've had video games in my life my entire life. So I think now what's also fueling this indie game development is people are so nostalgic for the games they played when they were a kid that now when they want to make games, they don't have to necessarily go to like the major publishers to start making games. They know they can make it themselves. So mm-hmm. they want to make games that reflect the interest they had when they were kids too. So right. um, I think that's part of it too. It's kind of like the aesthetic of a retro game lends itself very well to indie development, yes. which is why you see a lot of indie games nowadays kind of look like an old game, but be have much more polish right. on them and, and little nuances on the games they played when they were kids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, there's just one more note I wanted to say. Sorry, Christina, were you trying, did you want to? No, I didn't oh. have anything. <laughs> okay. So there's just one more, like, element I wanted to add to this conversation. The whole like idea of video games as art was a joke up until around this time. So there's a famous quote from Roger Ebert, the, the film critic from 2005, which is, again, like right in the time where indie, indie games is about to explode, where I don't want to read the whole paragraph to you, but essentially he, he says video games can't be art because they have, there's an, he, he's, a, he's a very old school view of video games where like a video game you play to win it's not like an experience Mm. so he says they can never really be art there'll always be a sub kind of classification of art because it's there's an end point and you know you're always just trying to get the high score or something and he's like sure there's like art involved in it but it's never going to be as on the same level as film or literature or anything like that always trying to get the high score in film too I guess, in the box office high score. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of garbage Roger movies. Roger Ebert. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> so, that, that's, I mean, Roger Ebert, he's not the only person who was saying that, but I'm just giving I you, get, like, an idea of yeah, what that. I, I understand that, too, but, and it's funny how he clarified 
Like there are pieces of art, like the music, I think is one of one of the biggest artistic parts of a game of older games, maybe not the graphics, but the the music that they could make such amazing music with such limited tools in the 80s and 90s. Stuff that's still, you know, I will listen to to this day of something that of a video game that came out in 1993. Um, and it's rudimentary. It's, you know, it's like 16 bit. It's not rudimentary music. But yeah, to what you're saying, that it crossed the threshold at some point of with indie games, especially of going into like this, you're playing this for the experience, you know, more story driven than anything. And yeah, that's definitely that is art when it gets to that point. Yeah, and I think some of the games we're going to talk about illustrate that point a little bit more clear. So let's let's just get into it. So I have a few games I can talk about because I'm, I'm sure everyone here has a few games they want to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anyone want to go first? I don't mind. You have. Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking a lot. Yeah. Um, so the first game I have, I don't even know what order I want to go in. Chronological. And I don't, if you think <laughs> I know what any of these, what... Well, I guess in the order in which I played them then. Oh, that's a good one. So then I guess the first one would be Hades, which is a roguelike game, which means you die a lot. And that's they incorporate that into the story kind of. And um, I don't like not being good at games. So this was very hard for mm. me to get into, but um, the basic story is that you're the son of Hades and you're trying to escape the underworld um, and you have to go through the different levels of the underworld to get out. And there are lots of people trying to stop you, but also lots of people who are trying to help you. And and they're all from classical Yes, it's all based on, yeah. So it's like all of the other gods are trying to help you escape. Mm-hmm. So they give you like extra powers and stuff. And um, it's really hard. But it's also, f- it's a funny game or it's yeah, well written. It's very well written. Um, it's very horny. I was going to say that. <laughs> I've heard that. I haven't played it, but I've heard it's very a very horny game. <laughs> you, there's a lot of like, there's not like a lot of like, side content necessarily like it's pretty straightforward you try to make a run through the dungeon hopefully you get a little further each time that you go but because you're the son of the god of the underworld you keep coming back Mm -hmm. so you can do it as many times as you want um but there are different things to collect you can romance some characters and it was critically acclaimed i i think it was nominated for game of the year when it yes And it was definitely on a lot of people's lists for top 10 games yeah. of that, whichever year it came out. It's one of my games to my to play games that someday I will get around to actually yeah. playing. Same. I've always, it's been recommended to me countless times and eventually I will get around to playing it. It's a it. great game where you can just like pick it up and then just like do a run and right. then... You die. Then you die, and maybe you'll come back tomorrow. Right. Um, it does have difficulty settings, which is a big that's your big proponent of yes that which um, i agree there should be yeah for those harder games and if you it, want it hard play hard if you want it easier just to see yeah, more story yeah there's no easy. reason to gatekeep content right. behind difficulty but the story is actually really interesting the fact that 
it's sort of, I've never played another roguelike game, so I don't know if they often incorporate the dying into the larger story, but it's very, very well written and it's a lot of fun to play, even though it is very hard. <laughs> All right, Hades. Hades. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, Tim, do you want to go next? Or? Sure, yeah. Um, so most of the games that I looked into what I've played are also pretty recent within the last five, six years. And it's funny, a lot of these are games that would have been probably also game of the year type games. To pick one, it's kind of hard, but I would say Outer Wilds, um, not Outer Worlds, which is a different game. Uh, not a trip running out of not, titles. Yeah, not and that's kind of an indie game, Outer Worlds, but this is super different. Um, so Outer Wilds is a game where you are you wake up and the you're in you're on a planet like a very small planet and you can travel from in this small solar system and every 22 minutes of just you playing the game the sun explodes and everything resets and you wake up again and you have 22 minutes until it blows up and you keep doing that over and over again so also almost like a roguelike where you're dying and then coming back and but you kind of can keep track of things in a journal and there's a mystery of why does the sun keep exploding there's no one else there either to ask there's i think maybe two or three characters that show up and they do very little talking and you're it's the physics in the game are amazing because they're just um really weird to figure out and to navigate planet to planet and you can literally like kick off of one planet and fly off the planet to go to another planet. You'll probably die though and end up flying into Caught the sun in the gravitational pull of another right. planet and crash into right. it or something. So yeah. Alex, you played it, and we had different interpretations of the game, like of how we liked the game. I it was one of my favorite games that I played that year. Yeah. Um, we talked about it on a one of our first episodes, the recommendation oh, right. fails yeah, episode. Right. Yeah, and uh, I I didn't. I didn't have fun playing the game, but it's an experience I will never forget. <laughs> it's such a unique game. Yeah. And I give it five stars for creativity. Yeah. And the engine that the whole game runs off of is a phenomenon. Yeah. I don't know how they pull it It's crazy because there's black holes and there's just so many weird instances of like flying into a planet's orbit and then you're like going into a gas giant planet and then you're flying closer and closer to the surface and then there's water down there and it's just so you can go underneath the water and, and every planet is on a timer so it, it yes. evolves over those 22 minutes right there's events happening while you're moving through everything and all of it you can go from one planet to the other and that event is happening while you're on another planet and if you go from one point a to point b you'll see just some crazy stuff happening so great game Definitely, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I think it's on pretty much all the platforms. Yeah. yeah, even Switch, which I was amazed that they came out with a Switch version of that because it's very complex how the whole planetary system works. Yeah. So. All right, great. Um, I feel like I have more recommendations than everyone else, so I'm just going to do two right out of the bat right here. Okay, yeah. Um, so the first one is Cave Story. Have you played, either of you played Cave no. Story? No, I'm so. going to talk about all three of the indie games I've ever played. Okay, <laughs> okay. 
Good to know. <laughs> so Cave Story came out in 2004. It was made by one person. His name is uh, Daisuke Amaya. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it was made, again, by just him in his free time over the course of five years. It's sort of a Metroidvania sort of style game, which if you aren't a gamer, you have no, that means nothing to you. It's just gibberish. But basically, uh, it's, it's a 2D game, and you're looking at it kind of like an ant kind of colony, like mm-hmm. one of those things. Um, anyways, the game is beautiful. Like one of the best retro pixel kind of art games ever. It's amazing. It was done by one person. And it sort of has like a Ghibli style artwork to it where there's all these like big, fluffy, weird alien creatures that are you kind of interact with. They're like the friendly people. Um, but it's just got like nice zippy combat. It's very simple, easy to pick up. Um, the leveling system's interesting where you your guns level up and there's like probably a dozen different weapons that all or have different uses. So yeah, it's just a it's just a solid game. Like it's literally one of the best Metroidvania type of games I've ever played. And the fact that it was made by one person is like astounding. And the best part of it is it was free. It's a free game. You can just get it right now. Um, and it's available on everything. He eventually uh, Daisuke Maya wisened up and said oh there's there's potential people like this game so he has like cave story plus is like a different version of the game that adds more stuff to it um which you can get on every platform now it's probably ten dollars or something like that but 14.99 okay well you can pick it up on sale and the free version (laughs) is still available on his website and it will run on anything you could run it on your apple i've never heard of it it's fantastic tim i think you would really like it it's not not a long game. Uh, the second game I want to mention, it was also made by one person. The game is called Braid. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it, no. but never played it. I thought you were going to say Undertale, which I do want to... Yeah. Also a one-person game. That was on my list, but I figured you would want to talk I about do, that. I do, yeah, very much. So Braid was made by Jonathan Blow, who kind of made his name making like indie games on the web. And then Xbox reached out to him when they were about to launch Xbox Live Arcade. And they said, hey, you're an indie developer. We are about to launch this platform. Can you make a game for our new platform that's coming out? So what he did was he made Braid, one of the greatest games of all time. It is um, a 2D platforming game. Think like Mario. But the, the twist on it is you control time. So your character, with the press, you press a button on the controller and you can rewind every action your character and every character in the level has done. So you can literally rewind the entire play session all the way back to second zero. Um, And it's a puzzle game, so each level has different kind of mechanics. And as you progress through the game, it gets more and more complicated. Like eventually certain parts of the map won't rewind as you do. And and then there might be areas that aren't affected by time. And it, it just gets layer and layer and layer and layer. So the puzzle part of the game is fantastic amazing designed puzzles fantastic but the part that the part of this game that makes it one of my favorite games of all time is the story so when i played this game in 2008 i was i was in high school when it came out i was probably i was 2008 19 what did i you would have been 19 19 all right maybe i have the date wrong because xbox it was one of the launch games of xbox live arcade so it must have sounds about right though for that okay Um, let's just say I was maybe a senior in high school or something. So I played this game and, you know, I'm going through it like, oh, this is a puzzle version of Mario. Pretty interesting. And I, I don't know if you can spoil a game that's 
15 plus years old at this point, but the the way the game ends, all of the time traveling you've been doing throughout the game, this clicks into the story. Like the way you were saying with Hades, where like the dying is part of the story, all of the time mechanics that made that were just like a gimmick basically, mm-hmm. all click in in the final moments of this game. Mm-hmm. And it left my jaw on the floor. Like I I I when I talk about it, games as art, I didn't really believe that until I played Braid. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind. I can't recommend it enough. And you get little drips of hints of what the story is about throughout the game, like in letters and things like that. But it all clicks into place in, in what is, in my opinion, one of the best levels of any game ever. Mm. And I don't want to spoil anything because it is worth playing, experiencing, but... It plays on the whole trope of of Mario games, of adventure games, rescuing the princess, like that sort of thing. It flips all of that on its head. That's yeah. and that's all I want to say about it. I think that's like a common thing with um, a lot of these indie games. They'll take a, a like a platformer or some style of game, and then you just add like this really interesting twist to it. Yeah, that makes you think about the whole genre in a different way. Yeah. I, I can't recommend this game enough, and it's I think now available on almost everything. Yeah, it's if you like puzzle games, it's worth it just for the puzzle elements of it alone. If you like games as art, indie games, it's worth it for that alone. And I yeah, braid can't recommend it enough. Nice, Christina. Oh me again. Um, the next game I want to talk about is Chained Echoes. It is a I think it came out last year. It is. Uh, a JRPG inspired game. So you play as some characters who can like control sort of like mecha suits. And it just sort of play, uh, pays homage to a lot of like the original JRPGs that like were coming Super in. Nintendo, uh, yeah. So like Chrono Trigger is definitely like a big inspiration for the game. That's really the only one I've ever. <laughs> Played as Chrono Trigger. <laughs> for JRPGs. For, for classic JRPGs. Classic JRPGs. Okay. I've played a lot of JRPGs in general. The conceit of the game is pretty cool though, right? Because I started playing that game and it it's it starts where you're playing like an MMO RPG, right? Is that the same game that I'm thinking of? No, that's a different game. It must be, yeah. It starts out and you're controlling one character. Um, who accidentally like kills an entire castle's worth of people and is sort of dealing with all of that um, and all of the like, we got to save the world kind of stuff. There is like a time component to it, but the mecha suits that you control are really cool. Um, The only thing... The only thing I didn't like about it is there's not a lot of like exploration that you can do, mm-hmm. um, but it's got that like very classic, like pixely look to it. And you can definitely like see the inspiration from like other classic JRPGs in it. And it's actually like a pretty long game. I think it was, it was um, a Kickstarter game. I think it was crowdfunded and then there's also a place where you can see everyone who backed the game oh that's cool which is fun and it's probably it's actually a pretty long game it's like 20 hours probably i think that's one of the things with 
indie games, they're usually relatively short. Shorter than, like, a major release. Yeah. Game. 20 hours is usually, like, 30 hours is what you would usually get out of, like, a JRPG mm-hmm. doing some side quests and stuff. I appreciate shorter games. The older Same. I get. Well, I have a recommendation for an excellent, super short indie game that was... Actually, when I was looking it up, it was on a lot of people's top 10 for that year uh, called A Short Hike, which is, uh, might be, I think it's a one-person developed game, and it's basically you're a bird person that uh, you're probably like a teenager maybe, and you start at the, the bottom in a little village at the bottom of a mountain, and something happens, and you're basically tasked with finding someone at the top of the mountain. So you have to figure out how to get up the mountain and it's in fall. So it's just like beautiful colors and you have like slight little bird mechanics where you can fly and you can interact with a few different people here and there. And it's just like a lovely chill game that probably you can finish, I think in three hours, maybe four. Um, And I really want to see this person develop another game because it was just such a quirky quiet game that i think is um an excellent example of like these types of indie games where it's just here's something like that i was just working on for a while and it turns into this like really like a work of art of just a beautiful game so that's a short hike great game all right my turn um so I'll mention this one really quickly just because it's so funny. Uh, Super Meat Boy. Did you ever play this one? I've seen it, heard of it, never played it. All right. Super Meat Boy, you... Oh, God. I can't even read the description without (laughs) rolling my eyes. You're a cube of meat, and you're going to rescue your girlfriend, Bandage Girl, from the evil clutches of Dr. Fetus. (laughs) It's like the most ridiculous concept for a game. But anyways... Huge game, though. Hugely popular game. So... Um, it's another one of these 2D platforming games where you have to run and jump around, like think Mario, except it's extremely difficult. There's 300 levels, and all of them can be completed in under 20 seconds, I'll say. Some of them even shorter than that. And it's all about precision timing and jumping. So you, and if you get, if you touch anything that you're not supposed to touch, you immediately die and you have to start over. So that's kind of the that's the concept of the game, right? You have to be extremely precise with your movements and timing and everything. But the point, the part of this game that made it a huge success, I think, is when you complete a level, it shows you a video of every single attempt you've made at beating that level all at once. So if you you can play a level and probably die a hundred times, yeah. and it doesn't matter because a run might be three seconds and you instantly restart. So that's what's like the repetitive nature of the game. Like you just want to finish the level. But when you do finish, you'll see 100 videos played over top of one another of your little character trying to run through the level and just getting eviscerated in the most just evil, gross ways. Like you'll, whatever, fall into like a blender or something. Um, so when you do finish a level, you get that like, yes, I finished it. But then you also get rewarded yeah. with watching all of your failures happen at once. So it's Really, really funny just for that alone. I think that's another thing too, though. That's another through line of indie games when they're 2D platformers and they're an indie game. Chances are it's going to be really hard because they make the the they make these games to be like an accomplishment when you finish it because it's so hard. Which is usually why I don't play 
indie platformers because yeah. I'm just intimidated by that. Um, but that is, I think, and that's probably a callback to like the old Mario games. Those were hard. The original NES ones were not easy. Yeah. Um, so Super Meat Boy is super fun. It's on everything nowadays. Um, the other game I wanted to mention came out around 2012, I think, and it's called Dear Escher. Have either of you heard of this? No, I never even heard of it. So it actually started as a mod for Half-Life, which is a popular, very popular big game out there. I think it was made by two or three people. It was a very, very small team. And it started as, again, they just took a popular game called Half-Life and they just ripped out all the guts from it and right. made another new game around it. Um, so this is kind of the founding father of the walking simulator genre of games, which I did air quotes. Walking simulator means all you do in the game is walk around and interact with things. There's no thing. There's nothing you fight. There's no spells or combat or deep lore or anything. You're literally just walking around an environment. And for this game, the entire game is set on an island in this kind of like eerie, I guess I would kind of call it like Scotland sort of vibe. Um, so it, the whole game takes place in an island and you're walking around the island on a very pretty much set path like spiraling around the island until you eventually reach the top of the, the mountain. Um, and throughout your time walking on it, you're just looking at the most gorgeous environments I'd ever seen in a game up to that point. And you're collecting pages from a diary and you're kind of piecing together the story as it goes. And I'm not really spoiling anything because this is kind of explained from the get-go, but you're, you've, you find out that the diary is actually from your deceased wife and you're sort of the diary is kind of piecing together the story of her last days and kind of the circumstances around her death, which it's not very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a very short game. You can probably finish the whole thing in under two hours, I would say, probably less than that, maybe 90 minutes. And the ending is another one of those ending of a games that just left me floored, like jaw on the floor. Uh, it's just it's so personal and so deep and like it's another perfect example of like games as art like you're not there's no high score you're not fighting anything it's just an experience it's it's basically a movie that you are controlling the main character and just getting a story fed to you and and doing it at your own pace i think that's something that um again another thing that Indie games kind of started this and major games are now dipping into is just dealing like not afraid to have a game just all about like grief or totally really hard, difficult things in your life. And, and it will go into those. And that might be the entire game is just like just about that, which, you know, uh, is pretty awesome. It's it's one of those things. I mean, video games have only been around for 30 years Right, and that's that years? was one of the criticisms of Roger Ebro saying is like we're in the infancy of video games, right. like we're in the cave painting like stage of video games as right. art. And it's so I don't know. Like this, when I, I still remember where I was when I finished this game, like that's how much it struck me, like mm-hmm. how poignant it was. So, Dear Escher, fantastic yes. game. Christina, do you have another one? Oh, I do. This is just like in D and D when it's always my turn. Um, <laughs> the last game that I have on here is Oxenfree. I've wanted to play that. It was recently on Super Sale on the Nintendo eShop, and I had some points, and it made it free. So I was like, 
don't have anything to play right now. Did the second one come out yet? I think the second one just came out okay. recently. And you are a teen and her new stepbrother who are like going to an island to go to a party. And the island doesn't have like a lot of inhabitants. It's just like a tourist town and there's like an old like military base kind of thing. Um, and when you go, you accidentally make contact with some kind of other beings. And um, to play the game, you're just sort of exploring the island. And then there will be certain, you have like a, a radio. You have to tune the radio to like the correct frequency to unlock puzzles or get like more information. And it's just, it's a little spooky. There are like kind of like ghost things going on. There's all kinds of weird stuff it going on. It seemed like a inspired by X-Files type of game. I guess kind of. It's just like, yeah, I guess. Kind of like an eerie atmosphere. Yeah. Kind of PG sort of scares, not like horror elements necessarily. Yeah. Oh, don't you play as like cute animals too? Or am I thinking of a different No, game? you're you're teens. Okay. That's into the woods. Yeah. Which that that's another Yeah. To be played. You're just game. like you're just like teens going to drink on the beach. And then you open like an interdimensional <laughs> portal accidentally. And then you're trapped on the island and you have to like figure out what's going on and how to get off the island. And there's also like you're there with a couple of friends and you have to make like a lot of decisions in the game. And there are uh, different outcomes based on the decisions that you make in the game. So like some of them, it's like you can alienate everyone. Um, one of the characters gets taken over by a force and you can choose whether or not to save her. Um, but it's also another game that's kind of, and this is dealing with grief in the main character, her older brother, drowned on the island. And then one of the other characters was his girlfriend at the time. Oh, wow. And it had been, I think it has been like a year since that occurred. So you're sort yeah. of also dealing with all of these teens who... Big emotions Have there. big emotions yeah. on an island that is haunted. That sounds cool. Yeah, I really wanted to play that. And the trailer for the second one looked even yeah. better. The radio aspect is pretty cool, except sometimes there are so many frequencies that you can tune that you just sit there for like an hour and miss the frequency every single time. But it's really fun to play, even though I get stressed out by all of the decision making. <laughs> I just have one last recommendation of one of my favorite indie games. Probably it is my favorite indie game of all time, which is Undertale. Uh, it came out five years ago, maybe at this point, four or five years ago. Toby Fox is the single developer on it, did the music, which is an incredible soundtrack. And it is basically a in the style of a, an 8-bit, so Nintendo, not Super Nintendo, a Nintendo RPG with like dialogue boxes and no, no voiceovers or anything like that, and plays with the conventions of that so much and is hilarious. And really makes you think if you're a good guy or a bad guy and how you fight other monsters in the game. And it turns into like a bullet hell at some points. And 
just a different style of video game altogether. And it's just an incredible, I would say a piece of art type of game and, and just uh, emotional moving just all around. Just uh, unbelievable. Yeah. I second that. I, I've, I beat it twice because there are different endings based on how you play the game. Mm-hmm. The first time I ran through it, I tried to be it, play the good, get the good ending, the pacifist ending, the pacifist ending, and I realized that like the first encounter you get into in the entire game, you, I didn't think I had a choice, but I made a bad choice, so I got like the neutral ending. That's what I got. Yeah, and so I went back and just was the worst person I could possibly be. <laughs> that's the, what's the name of that one? This pacifist. And then there's like the, I don't remember. It's not like massacre ending or something like that. Massacre, I don't know. Genocide ending. Maybe I think so. that might be it. And uh, the, yeah, the combat is so interesting because you do get in confrontations throughout the game. And if you want to play the pacifist way, you have to be very careful with what you do because you can't cause any harm. You have to basically, talk your way out of Mm -hmm. things but which is like a mini game within itself and each conversation requires it is a different mini game that's that's thematically similar to the conversation you're having sort of but i don't know it's it's a game for gamers yeah yeah Uh, but i i think it's a game that i I would recommend it to everyone just of how oh absolutely smart i just mean like if you have played the game it's referencing you get a whole new layer of enjoyment from it yeah yeah definitely yeah great game yeah um okay i have i'll just do one more so i have six more (laughs) but i'll whittle it down um so this is a game that i i try to look up when i was doing research for this like what are the best indie games of all time and and this game never shows up on those lists but it's one of my favorites so i want to mention so all those lists are wrong yeah they are Um, This game is called Westerado. Have you heard of it? I'm not surprised. No one's ever heard of this game. It's an 8-bit game, so it looks like it's an old-school Nintendo game from the late 80s. Um, It's set in the West, like the Wild West, and basically you it's a very basic story. You are just revenging the death of your family. You're a cowboy. and But here, the twist of the game is you don't know who the killer is, and it could be literally anyone in the game. So when the when you start the game, it randomizes every single character in the game. Oh, wow. It randomizes their appearance and everything. So as you're progressing the game, the killer could be anyone in the game. Like, it could literally be the first person you walk into in the town. Or it could be somebody hidden in a cave somewhere. It's a big open world game, too, by the way. So basically, if you want to solve the mystery, like, the way it is intended there are missions you can do throughout the game um people you can talk to and do little jobs for them and you'll get clues so you might finish a whole storyline that will say okay uh, i know a little bit about the killer i think he was wearing a white hat so that narrows down okay now i know the killer is somebody wearing a white hat Mm -hmm. and eventually and that'll get logged in your your little notebook or something so you can play the game doing all of these quests in the world. And if you go that route, you could probably finish the game in maybe, I don't know, six hours, seven hours, something like that. Um, and eventually you'll get enough clues that will just show you exactly what the person looks like. And then you just go find that person. Or you could just go around town and accuse everyone of being the murderer and draw your gun on them, uh, which is totally valid. Yeah. And you, if you're right, you win, the, you, can win the game in, <laughs> yeah, you could win the game in five minutes. But if you're wrong, you're going to, it's the Wild West. You're in for a fight there. Right. And then you might get the police involved. And then all of a sudden you can't go back to the town or, or something. So 
it's a really, really fun mechanic, and I probably finished it a, a bunch of times. Um, but man, it's just so fun, and the, the the combat in the game is so well thought out. It's um, it's an old school Western game, but you have to manually like reload your weapons like bullet by bullet, so you can't just like spray go into town and spray your bullets until you hit the killer. Like you have to like manually reload. One bullet will kill you, so you have to like use the environment to cover behind. It's just a really kind of looks like an Apple PC type of yeah game. Yeah. Apple PC that doesn't make any sense. An Apple game. It's a, yeah, it yeah. looks like it was made in like the late eighties. Yeah, um, but it's just so much fun and it's so quirky and I just love that. Like every time you play the game, it's just a new experience. That's great. And some of the puzzles, too, are randomized, too. So, like, if you talk to, like, the shopkeep who sends you into this area, this time he might send you to this mm-hmm. area. And uh, there's all these factions involved, too. So every, you know, if you help one faction first, the other faction won't help you. So there's, it's an extremely replayable game. Right. Um, so, yeah, Westerado. Nice. Definitely check that one out. Yeah, I think that's enough. I have more, but... <laughs> I also have more, but, yeah, that's too much. Um, but yeah, that's that's all we got for our favorite indie games. So definitely go check those out. Yeah. Um, Tim, I know you have to run, but Christina and I have a game that we might review that you haven't played yet and I think you might be interested in, so I don't want to spoil it for you. Okay. All right, so when we come back from our break, uh, Christina and I are going to do a quick recap review of Sea of Stars. Okay, we are back. Tim has left the room, and it's just Christina and I for our video game review. So the game we're reviewing is called Sea of Stars. It just came out. It's by uh, a publisher called Sabotage, I think they're called. Yes. Uh, they are an indie game developing company, so it fits this episode's theme. Um, I think there's seven seven people, and they're Canadian. They're a Canadian team. Yes. Um, there's actually... Have you seen the documentary about the making of? No. There's a great documentary that if you're interested in the game after listening to this review, you should check it out. It's um, it's on YouTube. It's by The Escapist. You can probably just type in Sea of Stars documentary and you'll find it. Or I'll put it in the show notes too. It's about a half an hour long, but it's great. It interviews all the developers and talks about their journey from... This is only the second game they've ever made. Their first game was called The Messenger and got some pretty good reviews, critical acclaim. So and it's it was in the kind same of universe. Apparently it's in the same universe. I haven't found the connection yet, but um, it ties in like how they bridged their success from that game into making this game, which they talk about as being like their dream, the game they always wanted to make. So a little bit about the game. It's it's a role-playing game in it's a throwback retro role-playing game so it looks like it was made by super nintendo sort of so think like early 90s graphics um it has a lot of tributes to some popular games that were made at the time which i'm sure we'll get into and one quote that i i got from the documentary that i think sums it up pretty well is it's the memory of an old game not the actual old game so it, it definitely looks and feels and sounds like the games that we probably played when we were kids, but it just adds so many layers of polish to the whole formula and quality of life changes. Things that were tedious back in the day, they kind of iron out a lot of those kinks for this game. So what, what, are, your, what are your general thoughts on the game? Um, I am really enjoying it. Um... Chrono Trigger is one of my favorite games 
of all time. And this game looks like Chrono Trigger, sounds like Chrono Trigger. One of the things I noticed is in the music of the game, which is weird, there are a lot of like references to the music of other RPGs in the same style. Well, the composer is actually, or half of the composed, half of the songs were done by the actual composer from the 90s, from who made Chrono yeah. Trigger. So they talk about that a lot in the documentary too, where it's like they got the guy that made the games that they love that this game is based off of to come back and do yeah. the music or some of the music for this game and how much like how much of a dream that come true that was for them. Um, the music is great in the game. I, I really yeah. like it. When you play these kind of games, like you'll hear the battle song like that plays when you're ever in combat like over and over and over again, and it can start to like it can either be good or it can drive you insane. And I think yeah. this one airs better. It's uh, more on the good there side. There is a music in the game that does drive me insane and it's the fishing music oh yeah because i wanted there's there's achievements in this and one of them is to catch all of the fish it's like i love fishing mini games mm -hmm. and some of the fish are very difficult to catch and then you have this like i like benny hill music yes playing as you're like really frustrated as your line keeps breaking and also they never explain to you how to do the fishing game I'm glad you mentioned that. So when I first started playing the game, I couldn't catch a single fish because I just didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't yeah. realize you could just hold down the button to reel. You didn't have to keep tapping. Yes. So I was snapping lines constantly yeah. <laughs> until I realized, oh, you can just hold down the button. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I wasn't the only one who made that mistake. Um, and it is also funny, like every game has a fishing mini game in it. Yeah. <laughs> like... So this Love is not Hades had a fishing mini game yeah, too. It's so funny. Like every, it's like a staple now, like a joke. Like every game has to have a fishing mini game in it. And this one is not one of the worst. No, Final Fantasy 15 is one of the worst. Is one of the worst yeah. fishing mini games. So, yeah, I really really I think this game was is just again so polished. Like you can tell that they really love this genre of game because it, I mean it looks and feels plays like one of those games but they really like put thought into okay what are the parts that are not fun and they really i think addressed a lot of those issues to make it feel like a 2023 game and not what you remember a game you know or not like going back and playing those old games that have a lot of dated mechanics yes so i, I have a few examples um the um your characters when you're in combat like automatically keep replenishing their their mana their magic abilities which is always a problem in in the older games because once you use all your magic it's gone until you have to use items to keep replenishing yeah. it which is a problem because one if you don't have those items those characters that use magic are rendered ineffective if they're you know useless and it also kind of because you're aware of like i don't want to run out of magic you just don't ever end up using it so this is a nice system where like it keeps it replenishing. So you're you always have to balance it, but you don't have to worry about ever running out of it entirely. So yeah, and they also when they're like teaching you the combat, also sort of remind you that like there are a lot of parts of the combat that you build up that once you're out of that battle are gone. So like they're incentivizing you to actually use things instead of saving them till the final boss. Yes, and that goes to items too. So yeah. in all of these role-playing games 
me, I, I do it. I just hoard items thinking like, oh, I'll need this in the future. So I'm not going to use it now when I probably could use it. Yeah. Um, so this game kind of addresses the hoarding mentality of role-playing games because one, you're limited to only carrying 10 items, like at all. Um, so that keeps you from just stocking, piling hundreds of healing potions or something. Um, but the game is, is kind of difficult, I, I think. It, or it's di- it, I don't want to say it's too difficult because it's not too difficult. I think it's balanced just right. But it's difficult enough where you need to use those items regularly to like stay in the mix. So you're not like hoarding the items. Now, you might have a different experience because you're playing it on a, a lower difficulty. But I'm playing it just straight normal. Yeah. And I'm finding that like I'm usually hovering around like seven items. So I'm never, like, out of items entirely and struggling, but I'm never, like, just sitting and hoarding items. So I think they hit the right balance yeah. for that. So they also included all the, a mechanic called relics where you can sort of customize your play experience. So I think you get two, basically, when you finish, like, your prologue and maybe maybe more. But one of them gives you automatic healing at the end of each battle and an additional, it doubles your HP. So I have that one on. I think they call it the Amulet of Storytelling. Yeah, something like that. And then there's another one, which I don't remember if this one was one they gave to you or one that you had to buy, but it the way that the attacks work and defending works is you get like an extra attack if you hit X at exactly, or whatever you're playing on, exactly the right moment. So the amulet will like, send up a star to show you that you did it 100% correct. So you get like the extra damage or the benefits of defending from an attack. Yes, I, I do have that relic enabled because timing is such an essential part of combat in this game where, like you said, like if you hit the button at the exact time your character hits the enemy, you get like bonus damage or, or like yeah. you said. So timing is so important. And I found the timing part of it like very difficult when I started. And turning on this relic at least gives you a visual signal that, like, okay, that's the right time to do it. Yeah. Which helped tremendously in in the learning. And as you get more characters, some of them have weird attacks. And, like, you would have no idea if you were doing it correct if it didn't have the little, the little, it's like a star and, like, a noise. Yeah. It's like an achievement. Yeah, it shoots a little flare up when when you do it correctly. It doesn't, like, tell you when to do it, but it tells you when you do it correctly, which is helpful like on board like you said because there's so many different attacks and all of them have different timings and everything so i turned that one on but yeah the relic system is fantastic it's one of the best implementations of a difficulty scaling of any game i really can think of one because it's not something you toggle on in the very beginning of the game and is permanent throughout the whole play time you can toggle it on and off so you know when you start a game you might not know, like, is this game difficult? Do I need, do I want to play it on easy? Or is normal the right level for me? So the fact that you can toggle these things on and off at any point in time is great. And there are so many of them. Like, I don't even know half of them, but I know some of them will help you out a little bit. And conversely, there are relics that will make the game more difficult. So if you are looking for more of a challenge, you can turn on relics that will make it, uh, I know one of them um, makes it so you can only damage opponents if you have your timing right, I think, which so you don't do any damage if you don't get your timing right. 
and things like that. You can kind of like little tweaks and some of them are really creative. Like it's not going to break the game or make it way too easy or way too difficult. Like they're all just minor tweaks that yeah, you I can kind of customize the experience. Yeah, I think there's one that like affects the way um, casting works. So like you could change the way all of your spells work a little bit. Yeah, there's, if you, yeah, it, it's, it works for access, accessibility because, you know, if you're not, if timing is very difficult for you, like physically, you, there's an amulet that will just get rid of the timing mechanic entirely and you can yes. play it like an old game, an old school game where it's, you're just choosing things from a menu. The other part of um, combat that I really liked is the lock system. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, unique to this game. I have never played a game like it before where... When an, uh, an enemy will basically telegraph when it's going to do like a very powerful attack and it'll have these little emblems that appear above its head and each one of um, the little emblem symbols signifies a specific kind of attack. So if you can perform all of those attacks on that opponent before they perform this attack, it will basically negate all of the damage or stun that enemy. So... It's really interesting. It adds like a, a, a strategy element to the combat, which otherwise can be kind of Yeah, and you can boring. also swap between characters. Like there's no set order. If you have more than three characters, you can swap a character in for no penalty. So like... Yes. The game doesn't punish you, which other, these retro games would have done, which I really yes. enjoyed. Like you, Like you said, you can swap characters out on the fly without losing a turn um things like like that yeah and it also the lock mechanic it makes it so every character is useful it's not like okay this is my character that always does damage and this is my healing character or whatever it makes it so like all of the characters are essential to the strategy because one of them might have an attack that that will stun this yeah this enemy so i really like that like that plus the timing element like kept you like your mind actively engaged in the combat which would otherwise can sometimes kind of be mindless, like attack, yes. attack, heal, attack, attack, heal, you know? I don't know. What, what do you think about the, the difficulty overall? Like, um, I found the balance to be kind of in the sweet spot, just about right. Yeah, there's never... So I do, I am playing it with my storytelling amulet on. And even still, um, the combat is always interesting because there are a couple, there are a lot of like gimmicky battles. And if you're not paying attention that they can demolish you. So like I, one of the very early ones has an attack that counters everything that you do and you have to take it out before you can start really on the main boss. And I was actually on the Sea of Stars subreddit and like tons, tons of videos of people like, how is this boss so strong? Why can't I beat this? (laughs) This is crazy. Why is the, how is the difficulty spiked so much? And it's like, oh, this is the kind of gimmick that would be in a game like this. And if you are unfamiliar with the conventions, you're not necessarily going to know like, oh, yeah, I got to take that piece out first. Yeah. I have found the boss fights to have a slight difficult. I mean, they should be more difficult than your standard fights, but um, I haven't had too much trouble with them. The nice thing about the combat, again, is like, they give you so many elements for like swinging the momentum back in your favor when your back's against the wall. So well, another element that we didn't talk about is the combo system. Mm-hmm. So as you're in a, a, a fight, you will build up what's called like your combo meter or something. I forget what it's called exactly. 
but basically like the more magic you perform and times you get hit the more this combo meter builds up and then once it's reached a certain level you can perform like a huge attack that can usually swing the favor yeah. of a fight or that, healing or heal yeah when you're which is i have found is balanced just about right where i will be in a fight and have be like okay i'm about to lose like this is over and then it just takes like one big combo or one Again, because your mana is always regenerating, like one spell that will just turn everything around. Yeah. So I, I and it feels good. It doesn't feel cheap. It just whenever that happens, I'm like, it. Re, I feel like I'm being smart. It makes the player feel good. Yeah. So I've really liked all those elements they've added to combat to like make it challenging, but still like you know, ebb and flow and keep you in, engaged yeah. in the strategy. And also, all of the puzzles have been fun. Yeah. I, um, I'm trying to think of some good ones, but I'm not as far as you are in the game. I know you're you're pretty much right at the end. Um, I'm about halfway through, and I do like the dungeons. Like the crystal one was is very memorable, where you have to like you know get the crystals to line up in the right color, and they open up different doors yeah. and stuff. And then there's like the classic push a crate around kind of puzzles, and uh, there's one where you're like bending light like off mirrors and stuff to line yes. up. That one was fun. So. Yeah, it, it breaks up the combat. Yeah, it's a nice and they're balance. like challenging, but not so challenging that you want to quit the game. Yes, they don't grind the game to a halt. Yeah, and it's it's just challenging enough where like you're not going to quit or go to like a wiki, a wiki guide to figure it out. I also want to talk about. I think they did a really interesting thing with the way the story works, where you get to pick your main character essentially, and they basically made the the protagonists interchangeable, and a little bit bland you have a third party member who just sort of like is the charisma of the group he interacts with everybody and like he's he moves the story more and they're just the muscle yeah we're like he's like all right we're gonna we're gonna do this i'll talk to people no problem and if we need to fight that's when you guys come in yeah the character you're referring to his name's garl Garl. yes there's um a pronunciation guide on the website. Garl's pretty straightforward. Garl, yeah, but like <laughs> Valer and Zale. Yeah. It is a funny... So again, like uh, we talked about this earlier in the episode where like these retro indie games kind of are homages to these old games and they'll kind of twist on like some of the tropes or flip them on their head. So it's really funny playing a game, you're right, where I didn't even think about this, where the main characters are silent like they don't really have any agency really it's like this just guy who's just like super charismatic and like lovable character who's just really driving the story forward like he's always the one saying like yeah we'll do it i have my friends are really strong they can do it and your main character's just like okay i guess we're doing this um yeah he's a funny character he's a cook too which is also interesting um so i really like how they they again they turned like what is a very video gamey thing of like healing potions and stuff like that and turned it into like a more believable mechanic where like you have a character who's a cook so whenever you go to a campfire he can cook up new meals and those meals replace the healing potions and mana potions and stuff just like in final fantasy 15 i guess so yeah (laughs) i don't want to give final fantasy any flowers but I guess they're not the first game to do this, but I do like how they are like addressing a lot of these like 
tropey things yeah. about role-playing games and like making it more part of like the world one other thing about the difficulty that i really appreciate is that there are a ton of save points in this game like there's a save point in almost every screen of yeah, the game and it auto saves and it auto saves before every major fight so even if you get demolished yeah. you're not losing hours of progress which is another thing that all these old role-playing games yeah. like would unfortunately do all the time like i remember playing like an old final fantasy game and like when you stumble across a save point you're like thank god i can stop playing there is a scene there's a a boss fight in the first kingdom hearts game that immediately follows a cutscene that is unskippable it's before skippable cutscenes and it was like the hardest boss in the game up until that point and i just remember watching that cutscene so much that I could recite it. So I really appreciate the the uh, abundance of save points yeah. in this game. That that was really helpful. But yeah, I, I, overall, I think it's it adds to like just like the vibes of the game. I, I think it's a very enjoyable world to be in. Yes, um, it looks beautiful. Like the animation of all the characters is very smooth and polished, and the the pixel art looks great. The background art looks yeah. beautiful. Almost like exactly the same as like. I'm playing Chrono Trigger, except it's dynamic. Like the way the characters move is less robotic, kind of. Absolutely. And it just it makes the world like more, yeah. uh, not realistic, but I don't know. There's like a verticality to levels that isn't there in old games. Yes. Like it's old games is just like okay, here's your flat map, and you walk from one end to the other. But this game, like you're climbing rope ladders, and you're walking on the side of cliffs like yes. cliff faces and you can and, like jump yeah <laughs> you're like walking over tight ropes and stuff it just makes like the world like more engaging i guess to to be in yes even though the levels are not big i think they're just well designed like a lot of like the dungeons and things will like loop back on itself where like you know one path might be blocked off but then until you work your way around you'll find out like it loops yes. back around and you can unlock shortcuts and stuff it's just very well thought out you don't i never feel like i'm backtracking and wasting my time yeah the game's very good at just pushing you forward yeah so i don't know do you have any any final thoughts about sea of stars is this going to make it to your your end of the year best of list um it might it depends some things happened and have you baked the bread yet no okay no you'll I, you'll know when you break bake the bread i think i'm about halfway okay i, I just got the pirate the okay. vespertine and i am about to fight what i imagine is a big boss on that ship oh yes so so um some things happen in the game that uh are very sad and there's bread baking involved there's bread baking involved and um, depending on how that turns out, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> but, it's, it's but it's engaging enough for you to make it through the end. On oh, what for is sure. Probably a twenty-five hour game. Yeah, I'm about I'm about twenty hours in, and I'm like I think towards the final, final stretch. stretch. I'm really enjoying this game. I I hadn't even heard about it until you mentioned it, and I'm glad I picked it up. It's it's in for sure my top three games right now yeah. of the I year. I did catch all of the fish though, so. Okay, good. I'm on track to do that, too. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be my top three for sure. Tears of the Kingdom, which we talked about at length on a previous episode, is probably still my number one. But uh, we'll see how things shake out. Yeah. All right. I think that's all we got for this episode. Yeah. Uh, if you made it to the end, you are you must be a gamer fan because 
Or just think that we have really great opinions. Yes. Yes. When we do. <laughs> thank you for, for tuning in. And um, Christina, thank you for joining me. Sure. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.